Don't be late for Culture Keepsake with Ken. The bell is about to ring. School is in session. Welcome to Culture Keepsake with Ken. This is episode nine. Oh my gosh, we are almost done with season one, School is in Session. So here we are at episode nine, which is education, assimilation, and revelation. So I wanted to bring this episode uh, at this particular point in the season because we have been talking about so many gyms that are building on top of one another and we've been talking about our minds. I'm sorry, we've been talking about actually our bodies and the things that we need to invest in and the changes we need to make. But now we're gonna talk about our minds, the beauty of education, but also the ambiguity of education. So I studied English and African-American studies, as I've stated before, but throughout my studies in, in, edu- in getting my education, I took a various courses from psychology courses to educational courses, just so I can get a broader sp- spectrum and also wanted to make sure I was adequate in taking full advantage of college. And there was this one course that I took that talked about modern education but it gave history so it was about it was really a history course and it actually talked about the history of education in one lesson and then I was taking a psych class at the same time about society and how social elements bring different cultures together so these two courses that I were I was taking in my undergrad kind of fused a lot of different things together and I had these aha moments because in one of these uh, segments was about assimilation and the form of assimilation in America and a lot of cultures is education. So they talked about the history of public education in this assimilation context. So you talk about social uh, dynamics and the way that you have this common thread is usually found in education but education is designed to assimilate people into a dominant culture. So when I sit back and I start to look at this and I say, well, the dominant culture in America, well, what really is that? Because culture in America has these multiple elements, different people, differences that came together. But somehow we have kind of faded that out or watered it down in education and only telling one side of a story or bits and pieces of a story to assimilate into this dominant culture. But what example are we really giving? So when we start to talk about how we educate our mind and the first lesson that I did in the first episode was learn for them but know it for yourself. That is what I believe my mother and my grandmother were underlining saying that you're going to go through this assimilation process, so learn it and master it. But there is going to be a point of revelation when you're gonna go beyond what is given to you. And that is the beauty that we have to be able to read, explore, and understand that there are bits and pieces that were only given in this assimilation form, which is our education, but push through it. And when you elevate yourself, not just educating yourself in a classroom, but elevating yourself 
in the, in the way that we carry ourselves, interact with one another, the way that we travel and explore other entities that we're connected to will allow us to educate ourselves and have that revelation. So I came across this worksheet of John W. B. John W. Barry. I'm sorry. He's a psychologist. I believe he's from Canada. And he talked about assimilation, right? He's talked about there are four types of acculturation. So let's first define assimilation. Okay. So those of you, let's let's look at the textbooks. Here I am coming in in, in my English mode, right? So assimilation is um, deferring ethnic heritage, right, are absorbed into the dominant culture of society. This is the most extreme form of acculturation, the process of adopting the language and culture of the dominant social group or nation of the state of being socially integrated into the culture of the dominant group in society. The assimilation of immigrants into American culture or American life is an example. And you do that through education. So it's fine, right? You want to give American culture, this is the way in which we function, our laws, this is our history, this is what it is. But we seem to miss some of the stories and some of the gaps. Do we do that because for various reasons, right? Why do we do it? How do we come up with this being the standard of the textbooks as the lessons? But I never question it in the context of why in the classroom, I always present the other pieces, like I told you all about my story with the Olmecs and Christopher Columbus, because I'm introducing that I'm looking at education far beyond what you're giving me. And it's in those times we have to challenge it that way but we also have to read and and equip ourselves not just as in our black culture but also in the whole elements of american culture because there are a lot of pieces that are missing about the native americans the indigenous people of of america their stories are completely gone right there there are no connections but they are the original beings right here in the land in which we live, we miss their stories completely. But we need to know their stories, know their culture, and it can all become that revelation of, oh, this makes sense, this is why. Oh, I get it now. This is why I may feel, or this is how I do it also. This is the way we do it, you know, in Africa or parts of, you know, the Caribbean, because there's a connection between us culturally. And we need to connect those dots and bring it together and know that that is our dominant culture. America is the melting pot. It's all the cultures come together. And we need to open up that, take the top off, stir the pot, and actually design that melting pot. So John uh, Barry talked about the four models or four types of acculturation. There's strat- there are stages of this. So he says integration, the individual maintains his or her own cultural identity, while at the same time becomes a participant in the host culture. So we can talk about the integration of education between blacks and whites in essence, right? Black people were coming into white schools and the struggle and the fight. That's the integration part. Assimilation, the individual gives up his or her own cultural identity and becomes absorbed into the host culture. Well, we start reading the textbooks, right? We start looking at 
the test we have to pass, which has just that information. So do we forget? Are we giving up our own culture? Or are we only do it in, in that moment? Those are the questions I ask. Separation, the individual maintains his her, or her own cultural identity and rejects involvement with the host culture. Well, if I talk about black slaves coming here, we were separated, but we couldn't even maintain our own culture. So now we have a whole nother com complex element or a different complexity when we talk about these stages of acculturation. acculturation. Then you have marginalization. The individual does not identify with or participate in either his or her own culture or host culture. And I do feel that the evolution of America and the way slaves were brought here as forced immigrants, we were stripped of our culture, language, everything. And then we had to recreate ourselves with this limited um, narrow path or limited uh, room or ability to create our identity. We were not even in a box. We were just in this small dot segment because we were never identified as human beings, as people, as part of society until I guess you get to this form of emancipation. So we are definitely that marginalized group and we still have elements of being marginalized because our history of our original culture is ambiguous to us. We don't necessarily have a true connection because we don't even know where we came from. We don't really even know who we are other than what we've become here in America 465 plus years later. But we have been able to create an identity, devise a culture, which is beautiful and rich. And it has been amazing to see how it has become the foundation or parts of the dominant culture. It is actually part of American life and society, and it needs to be discussed and embraced. But we also must educate ourselves, not just on one aspect, but all parts of it. And here we are in a pandemic with our children learning virtually. And there's a lot of learning, not just for our children, but for ourselves as adults. It's time for us to start peeling back these layers and having these revelations, not just for ourselves, but for our children. So how can we educate our minds to not just look at what's given to us in the classroom, learn it, know it, and understand the reasons behind it. It is a bit outdated, it is. Can we change it? Yes, we can. Can we expand on those stories? Yes, we can. But we have to master them first so that we're able to articulate where we see the gaps and the opportunity to make it better. That is what all of this platform is for. How can we take our gems, our culture, and infuse it and expand it in many different spaces and places from our workplace to the way in which we, you know, shop at the grocery stores? the art that we hang on our wall. All of those things bring us right here to our education, assimilation, and revelation. So in the next part of this podcast, I'm going to bring my beautiful Aunt Alma into the conversation. She is Dr. Jennifer Viper's mother, my 
mother's oldest sister and she's a beautiful educator but she's going to bring a beautiful element to the conversation and share with us some staples that we can use to educate our minds here in black culture but also in in american culture period some some staples for our mind so let's take a quick break and i'm going to bring my aunt elma into the conversation All right. Welcome back to Culture Keepsake with Ken. We are in episode nine, and I have my amazing, wonderful, beautiful aunt Alma Pfeiffer with me. And we're going to have her join us in this conversation. Education, uh, educator point. Some of the things we can do to help educate our minds. So welcome, Aunt Alma. Well, glad to be here with my niece, my favorite niece, as I always say. <laughs> yes, of course. So Aunt Alma, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background as an educator? I guess starting where I went to school, a proud graduate of a HBCU, Virginia Union University Yay. in Richmond. And then I did my uh, graduate work at, uh, you know, university system, East Carolina University and UNC Chapel Hill, where I got my master's in uh, science education. And that's, you know, from then on, when I started, you know, educating beyond that, I just do, I just been educating whenever I could get the opportunity to, uh, to improve or to learn more about how to teach, I took it. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm still doing it even though I'm out of the classroom. <laughs> well, what kind of, I guess, made you want to become an educator? Was there anything in particular specific you wanted to to kind of go in that field? What kind of put you towards going to that field? Well, that really wasn't my uh, original choice. And I and I reflect now, I talked to some of my cousins who live in New Jersey, and, and one in particular say, as a child, we would play school, and I always was a teacher. And so she knew that I was going to be the teacher, but that was not my goal. That's why I, when I went to Virginia Union, my back was biology, which was my love, uh -huh. always been my love. So I said, well, I'm going to go to med school. I want to, I just want to biology. But while in undergrad, I took every course I possibly could in terms of related to science and math, all the chemistry courses, all of the, uh, wow. the, the enough math courses. So when I graduated, I didn't have a degree in education. So I said, Let me, I'm going to go to med school. And I got in University of uh, Virginia Med School, but I didn't go. Um, I think somehow my mom got sick or something came up and I said, well, and the principal at school that I graduated from said, um, I need you. We, we lost our biology teacher. You got to come home. You say you want to come home, be with your parents. So please come on and do it just for a year. Then you can get, you know, a postponement on your med school. So I came home and that was it. That was it. I mean, I I taught the first year. I just I just loved it. You know, I just wow. didn't. I didn't. Then the principal had the audacity to introduce me to my your uncle, my husband now, <laughs> and he made sure that we were on every committee, so we be more or less connected. So I mean, from then on, I just I just loved it, and I I didn't have any education. I but in North Carolina at the time, in order to teach, you had to take the uh, the national teaching exam. It's called license exam now. But, um, and I took it in, I think he said, you take it in all of it, the biology, the chemistry, the physics. He said, you'll do fine. And sure enough, I did. I did fine. Wow. And then even on the educational piece, 
which the questions to me were more like, you know, practical comments. So I did one fine. I, I got my, my, my uh, education license to, to teach and then that's it. Wow. That's amazing. I didn't even know that story. A really cool story. And that's why when I, you know, when I was doing my years of teaching, the kids who wanted to go into teaching, I had a lot of kids who get North Carolina had a teaching fellows. And I will tell them, I say, yeah, you want to teach, but be sure you prepare yourself and just don't, if you want to teach math, just don't prepare yourself in math, prepare mm. yourself in all of it. So you, you know, especially us as a, you know, minority group, we need the broad spectrum. And that's what most of my kids that I steered towards teaching, that's what they did. So, um. To me, this and I still tell kids that try to do abroad. Just don't go and focus on one thing. Like, you know, I want to do English, but do English and history, English mm-hmm. and social studies. You know, so you will you as a as a if you're going to as a teacher, you will have a broad spectrum. Then you could better teach that particular subject you want to teach. You know? Do you? With that being said, do you find I guess the way education. Is, is designed or public education, how it's been designed. Do you think that as minorities, when we do look at things in a barter spectrum, we have a better opportunity to give to our children other than a very yes. like, swim lane, streamline kind of thing? Yes, I definitely agree. You okay. know, because if, you know, if, if you're going to teach a kid like history, now let me go back and give it a prime example. When okay. I was in school, I hated history. I thought it was a waste, you know, because <laughs> I said, why do I need to learn about history? All right. So when I got to college, I took a course and it was an instructor uh, that he taught me how to appreciate history. So I would tell myself, now I use that and take the one course. But mm-hmm. as I, you know, start teaching, I would teach units where I would bring in the history, you know, about the migration, how, you know, people coming in, the blacks, how they migrated in and mixing. I will make it a whole concept so kids will understand why. We have the genes, like when I taught mm. uh, about sickle cell anemia. I said, did they know how that gene came about? It's history. You know, how the gene mutated in Africa because they were trying to survive. And so if you have sickle cell anemia, trait, you didn't get malaria. So mm. if you're not, if you don't know this in history, you got to do more than just, you know, teach yourself sickle cell anemia is a mutated gene. But how did that mutated gene come about? So, yes, I think they need to know have a broad spectrum so to teach our kids how to appreciate um, appreciate what you want them to learn right so we're right here in you know this pandemic and I've been on calls with parents you know I guess struggle with teaching their kids or assisting with teaching their kids um, in this particular new platform and as an educator do you feel as though we can still get our kids the same value of education with the content, even in a virtual platform? If we, now that's a double-sided answer to the okay. question. <laughs> the reason I'm in that you can get them there if the parents are there. So okay. the only issue I have with this, you know, virtual education, where are the parents? Because mm-hmm. this virtual education is including the kids everywhere. I mean, right. where, where they live, where they're, whether they're living in a hotel or whether they're living in a car. So the parents have to be able to stabilize it so these kids can can learn. So that's the only, you know, drawback I have. How are the parents well equipped to handle the education for the kids? Because kids are resilient. Mm-hmm. Kids gonna be able, they'll pick it up, but they gotta have that support. It's just mm-hmm. like, you know, when you were in the classroom, if the kids didn't have that support at home, 
they they didn't really get it. So you had to really give them, you know, that additional support. So my concern there is, will the parents uh, be able mm-hmm. to give them support? Because, you know, you know you, you're going to be sure your daughter has it because right. of your education. But how many parents that are, you know, don't have the education, but don't know how to do it? <clears throat> so at my granddaughter's school, I told the principal, I said, yeah, this is going to work, but you gonna have to help these parents. If that means mm-hmm. virtual getting these parents, you have to you gonna have to teach them how to teach the kids. They're gonna have to have some stability. They're gonna have to have mm-hmm. some structure. They're gonna have to have some order. Mm-hmm. So the parents gonna have to know how to do it. You just don't put them in there. So okay, you got a Chromebook. You got you got virtual going this, but the parents is not. You know the parents are not able to uh, to help them to maneuver through these. They won't be able to do it. So that's that why I guess so true. yeah, our kids may be lost if. Uh, if that happens, you know. Yeah, I definitely don't want to see, you know, the children that are don't have probably the luxury of, you know, internet that's that's always stable or they have the luxury of being able to go into a quiet room. So Right. And usually I find that in a lot of the urban communities or black communities where there could be some disconnect pop mom and dad mm-hmm. work 10 12 hours a day right. they're not really there because they're the frontline workers are there some tips i guess we could share on how we can be a little bit more aware from an educator standpoint other than i know you're saying the support but what can we do because i know for me come when i work outside the home and come home i gotta look at homework i gotta make sure her stuff is done and you know, I could be tired, but what can we do as parents to make sure our children, especially our black children, get the things that they need? Well, number one, they need the connection, broadband connection. So they, you know, mm-hmm. be sure they have that. But in terms of, uh, and then you just lay down some very interesting points. Right. You come on, you're tired. A lot of parents, they have to work. So how am I going to help these kids? Mm-hmm. So the kids have been home all day. So who's been there with them? So whoever's right. there with them monitoring them through this virtual process gonna have to be sure that they are, you know, on task. Right, they, right. They, they, so that's that's the key. As parents, you have to be sure you have to work and everybody won't have a a grandma like you and, and my daughter, you know, have <laughs> to take care of be sure that so you leave the home, you have somebody there. But I don't I don't know how to answer that. How do you provide this assistant additional system for parents? And that's what's really bothering me. I don't know. I know they need that stability of support yeah. where the parents, and you know, they have to work. So mm-hmm. who's there to, you know, to help them? I don't know. I, I know it at our, the knowledge school, my grandbaby school, they're trying to set up some type of, um, what you call it, daycare uh-huh. for, yeah, for the, for, for parents who have to work and they can put their kids in. But to me, that's just like putting them in school. Right. You know, still, so if you're going to provide them with a daycare, you may as well put them in uh, school. So to answer your question, I'm really at, uh, as I'm in limbo, because that is, that is one of my major concerns. Yeah. Parents are not there. Who's going to have, and right now, all of our kids are behind. You Mm. know, we got to, you know, we got to get them all up. And they've, you know, it's already been a struggle to, to bridge that educational gap, you know, being the black and the white. And now the gap's probably going to even be more broadened. The yeah. fact that, you know, they because the top going to get it. I mean, they parents going to see yeah. that they get it because they've already started setting up these pods. You call them home pods. Yeah. So they pay, they're actually paying teachers. So they're bringing teachers into this pod where they have a, you know, group of parents put together X number of dollars and they paid this teacher to come in and teach this pod of kids, you know, plus the virtual. I mean, it's not, 
just that. So how many men? Our black parents can't do it, right? You know, it's just so. You know, I'm saying all the kids are behind now because no one has been in school, at least in North Carolina. You know, in terms since March, it's all been mm-hmm. virtual. So it's not a matter that you know I want to, I want my kid to be here and your kid there, right? So we got to work to get all of them up. And it, was, mm-hmm. it was tough enough during my in my early years of teaching how to you know bridge that gap as I said before. So you know I don't I don't I really I don't know I'm, I'm totally baffled as to how um, you just have to you know instill in the kids even when I see them. Now, you know, you can't go up to them and hug them like, you know, you want to, but just you look at them and it's just giving some kind of security that, you know, they can do it. Yeah, that also has to be a challenge. But you mentioned something that I think is very important when the gap that we already have within mm-hmm. um, our communities, black communities or minority versus non-minority communities with having accessibility. So I remember, you know, you asked me, you know, I know you didn't learn about the Olmec heads like in school, right? So you, my mother, all of my aunts, you know, you all have been still reading, going out and just educating your mind, educating yourself. Mm-hmm. Just keep reading and reading and reading. Right. Every summer that I was with you, it was, we still had to read books. And I'm like, we don't That's- <laughs> Why am I reading books? You're taking us to the library. I'm like, ma'am, I do not want to do this. <laughs> But I now as an adult, I am so grateful that you did that. Like you made us read and have conversations on what we're reading. It wasn't just reading, guys. We had to talk about what we read. It was that's right. A book report. Like, seriously? <laughs> well, that's another key. You can add that parents. I mean, you instill that in parents. Mm-hmm. But parents have to read. Yes. To make the kids read. Because I tell John, if I say, you sit down and read a book. Now I'll sit down and read a book with you. Read and she see you reading, so parents will have to read. If it's, I mean, it's nothing but the, uh, the newspaper or magazine or something. Mm-hmm. We came up, my mom had to have that newspaper. <laughs> yeah, she get that newspaper, so read it. So you, yeah. you have the kids have to see these, see the parents read or yeah. someone close to them, you know, read a brother, older brother, sister, or somebody. They need to see someone reading. And what you read is important too, though. Yes. So I want to share with you because you have an library of books that have always inspired me from my younger years and even now we have conversations what are I guess maybe three or five I guess must-haves that we as uh, black people should read or keep in our library from your perspective on ways that we can continue to educate ourselves beyond what we get in school beyond the normal assimilation of of this is the you know the stories you should learn sort of speak what else can we do outside of that well, you know, right now, a lot of things, they, they make movies out of, and you don't want to, you know, oh, read, I read, I t- look at the movie, I have to read. So there mm-hmm. are books, still, and like I said, go on your, your iPad or something to read, but I have to have a book, a hard <laughs> book. And I, um, you know, I'm really into historical fiction, mm-hmm. uh, but I just read about anything. But I think some really good books that are being written now are by authors who go back and reflect on history. Mm. especially on, you know, black history, African-American history. And uh, there are two authors in particular that I, uh, that I really, really admire. And one is Eddie Glaw Jr. And I think he's head of African-American studies at Princeton. And he's, um, and his, he writes a lot uh, about James Baldwin. Mm -hmm. And he said, if, if uh, he, he, if he really, James Baldwin had been living today, 
which you know he would have probably been right sitting in his in his lap just lapping everything he does but the book the latest book he wrote is it's called begin again it talks about james baldwin's america and his urgent lessons what we can learn from it mm-hmm. and uh, that's an awesome book okay. i mean it's definitely that's a good one i think uh and it will take us where we are i think today that's where yeah. i mean their minds from it and the other one is by um Isabel Wilkerson, you've heard of her, the warmth, the warmth yes. of our sons, the great migration. Now that's a big book, but you know what? I've read it once and I'm going through it again. That book will move you. In other words, you see, you know, how so many of us left the South and where mm-hmm. well, why we end up where we did, you know, the Midwest, the West and stuff. That's a real uh, moving book. And another one is by a, this is a um, a non-African American, so white author, but he's good though. He's a historian, John Meacham. Have you heard of him? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, the Soul of America, and that uh-huh. was uh, 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 about the bet. You know, the better of our looking for our better angel. That was uh, yes. That was really good. Then he did another one. Uh, the truth is marching on. John Lewis, the power of hope. Oh no, I haven't heard that. Oh, one. that one was awesome. That. that one, in fact, he just finished that one, right? I mean, he, John Lewis was, was able to read that one before he died. Wow! And it that because in that book he talks about John Lewis was a saint. In other mm. words, he said all saints were not necessarily, you know, holy, holy people, but right. John Lewis was a saint. And that that book is very moving. Truth is, truth is marching on by John Meacham. And, so um, it's, I'm gonna have to definitely put that one on there. Keep going. <laughs> Another one is I'm maybe a little biased about this one. I'm sure you heard of the Reverend Dr. William J. Barber, haven't you? Yes. Okay, he's one of my former students. Oh. I taught him in tenth grade. I did not know that. Oh yes, oh yes. <laughs> and he 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 writes what you call sermonettes and books, but he's written one. His latest one. They, it, was, it says soul and bonds and nobles it's called we are called to be a movement that is awesome it is this in fact he included in this book the sermon he gave at the uh cathedral in, in dc he okay. spoke he spoke there but this book was so, it was so moving his sermon was so moving they asked him to put it into a book and he did and it's called we are called to be a movement it is awesome so i think it's uh I think as a, a black reader, as American reader, we should all include that in our uh, our library. It's short, real, you know, not much to read, but it's short. It's a good book. Okay. Is there anything else? Those are those the the four that you definitely recommend for us? Yeah, or five. It's, we have the the other. We book. are called to be a movement. Yes. Be, begin again by Edgar Law Jr. and uh, his truth is marching on yes. by uh, John Meacham. And you said the soul of America, the battle, you know, that reason that one is pretty good too, but it takes you from, you know, the beginning until doc, to uh, Donald Trump, you know, what's, mm-hmm. what's wrong with America. So one thing I like about John Meacham is that when he writes, he writes with heart, you know, he, he doesn't care whether he's addressing uh, a white supremacist rally or me right. too movement rally you know and that's what he he writes his writings will reflect that you know that so 
I've read, you know, Soul of America, and it's almost like from a journalist standpoint, in a, in a sense that it's very he documents, yeah, in this very visual kind of way, yes, that you can almost feel and you can and almost, almost say sometimes you can smell, you know, like mm-hmm. what's happening. It's kind of like you're very in there. That's and right. That's, that's what he writes. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I'll put uh, John Meacham with Eddie Claw, you know, Eddie and Billy mm-hmm. Barber. That's yeah, a pretty good. So, if you, if you want fun reading, you can read something like The Vanishing Half, which is a historical novel, Britt Bennett. I hope you read that one. That stayed on the top reading list for a while, New York Times reading list. Did you ever get to read that one? No, huh? <laughs> I'm guilty. No, I haven't. You need to read The Vanishing Half. I tell Jennifer the same thing. That is awesome. So, I have um, Audible link, a connection with Audible check these books in case those that you say don't really have the time for the hard book but I can mm-hmm. you know make sure they're there so that you can get a discount for you know reading them and, and you know driving to work or you know, just doing laundry you can listen to the audible and and be able to get that education feeding your, your mind because it's important because I know that you gave me and reinforce that throughout my entire life and it has definitely helped me not just in my personal life but in my career um, because it's important to look at things in a broad perspective broad spectrum and reading definitely gives you that ability to see beyond what's just in front of you so I thank you I hated it but I thank you now (laughs) as an adult well I appreciate that Sometimes it takes that long to, you know, to show your gratitude. Yes. So is there anything else we you can share with us on how we can continue to educate our minds and each other? I know there's some things we kind of left in, in that are stomping us as we're in this time. But is there anything that you can give us to encourage us through this time? Just keep listening to my niece's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I love the plug. Thank you. Okay. Well, All I right. thank you for your time, Auntie. I love you so much. I love you too. All right. Be good. Bye. Hang in there. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye-bye. I want to thank my Aunt Alma for joining us in this conversation. It's always fun to share gems from um, our families with one another and to offer this experience. She's so amazing and been such an intricate part of my life. She's my auntie mom. (laughs) You know, Jennifer and I grew up together, like I said, in episode eight. So, you know, our moms are sisters, yes, but they're also, we have like two moms. So they've definitely uh, influenced us in great ways. All my aunts have, by the way. Um, So I'm definitely going to list the four books. I'm sorry, the five books, along with the sixth book, um, The Vanishing Vanishing Half, um, in the description below. And also offer my Audible link that will give you all a discount on... Um, subscription I believe it's probably even one month free but I'll make sure that I leave that there so you all take advantage of this time while we're in this quarantine slash pandemic uh, phase where we can educate ourselves 
um, show those wonderful um, images to our children. Like my aunt said, read a book with your child. Uh, also educate yourself to help them through this process and transition as we all are trying to adjust in what our society is going to become. Um, I always like to say what we did yesterday is not what we're going to be doing tomorrow because today we're in a transition. So we should take this time to educate ourselves, elevate ourselves. So we're having these revelation uh, moments and therefore we're able to recreate and, and redesign what our tomorrow will look like because this is a bar beautiful opportunity for us to do so. So today I'm going to leave you all with an original piece, my revelation. I want you all to love one another, be safe, and just take this time as our children are going back to school. Let's figure out how we can band together and find ways to uh, bridge the gap, as my aunt said, and bring them all up because they're going to really need us. We can't hug them all. We can't, you know, reach out and, and encourage them with that, with, with everything that we used to do, but we can try to find a way where we can do it together. So we're all in this together. I want us to stay safe and enjoy this time and enjoy one another. One love. My revelation. My education in the classroom does not belong to me, but you assume that I'm part of your history. My disconnect is a mystery in your textbooks, lesson plans, and design to assimilate me into your dominant culture. How is it that I'm in this melting pot that doesn't allot for my integration? See, your education only separates and marginalizes my heritage, leaving me displaced, unable to connect my dots, unable to connect my stories, unable to connect my language, unable to connect my being, unable to connect my spirit. Here I am, assimilated, the most extreme form of acculturation. <laughs> but you see that I'm here creating my identity because there are elements far greater than your educational assimilation, my ancestors. <laughs>